here is a Bible prophecy about what's going to happen. And this morning I had to give my title. So I said, uh, the vineyard of joy, vineyard of joy. And, uh, well, that relates to the message or not. I had to give them something. So you follow me. You can title it like you want to. Amen. Isaiah chapter 27. In that day, you see that phrase has been repeated over and over again. Look at chapter 26 and verse one in that day. Shall this song, and then you come to chapter number 27, and another, and it is in that day. That is the day that's promised in the Word of God. That's the day, uh, there's a time called the tribulation period. That's called the, the, the time of Jacob's trouble. But there's a day coming. There's a day coming. And thank God, I'm glad that today is the day of salvation. And you can say, boy, that's my day. That's the day I got saved. I trusted Christ at Benson Grove Baptist Church. Boy, that's my day. But he said, in that day, in that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing servant, a serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent. And he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now, how many of you with us a few Sunday nights ago when we read through the book of Revelation? Raise your hand. Have you ever heard anything like that before? Have you ever heard that phrase dragon and serpent? Have you ever heard that before? Have you ever? Well, it's in the book of Revelation and we'll talk about it in a little bit. You're reading now 700 years before Christ, something that's also recorded in the book of Revelation. It is when our Lord deals with that serpent and with the dragon. And I'll say some things about that in just a few minutes. But look at verse number two. In that day, sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. I, the Lord, do keep it. I will water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I will keep it night and day. Now, in case you're wondering, that vineyard is the nation of Israel. Fear is not in, a fury is not in me. Who would set the briars and the thorns against me in battle? Now, when all the world is amassed, you know, you hear these evolutionists and those uh, atheists and they wave their fist in the hand of God and they say, there's no God. If there's a God, why don't he strike me down? Well, uh, Timmy Boone in the youth camp a couple of years ago down in Florida illustrated the best I've ever seen. He's preached to a bunch of kids and he said, uh, you know, a lot of people don't believe in God. And they said, if there's a God, why don't he do this? And he said, listen, I'll tell you how God looks at you. He said, over here in Tampa, uh, there's a big airport and there are 747 jets that come in there. They're huge. And he was describing them for those kids, how big they are and how huge they are. And so he said on that runway that's many, you know, many hundred feet long and the, and the jets are going in and out. You know, he said there's a little bitty ant and he crawls out across that runway and he raises his hand up and he said, I don't believe in jets. I don't believe in jets. Did you get it? Oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe God. You know what he said? He said, would you send a briar out to fight a holy God? That's when he looks at all of his enemies, he said, they just like a bunch of old briars and all of that. He said, thorns. Would you send a bunch of briars out to do battle? I would go through them. I would burn them together. He said, I just consume them up. That's the way God is. He said, let him take hold of my strength that he may have, that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. 
He shall cause them that come of Jacob. Now that's, that's future, by the way. He said, I, he shall make them that come of Jacob, Israel, to take root. Israel shall blossom and bud and fill the face of the earth of the world with fruit. Hath he smitten him as he smote those that smote him? Or is he, is he slain according to the slaughter of them that are slain by him? In measure, when it shooteth forth, thou wilt debate with it. He slayeth his rough wind, uh, he stayeth his rough wind in the day of the east wind. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. Now, here's the key verse in this whole passage of Scripture. By this, therefore, shall the iniquity of Jacob be purged. And this is all the fruit to take away his sin. When he maketh all the stones of the altar as chalk stones that are beaten in sunder, the groves and the images shall not stand up. Yet the defense city shall be desolate and the habitation forsaken and left like a wilderness. There shall the calf feed and there shall he lie down and consume the branches thereof. When the boughs thereof are withered, they shall be broken off and the women come and set them on fire. For it is a people of no understanding. Therefore, he that maketh them will not have mercy on them. And he that formed them will show them no favor. Now you say, Brother Billy, that doesn't sound like he's talking to Israel. And you're exactly right. I'll explain that to you in a minute. Now, he begins back in verse 12, talking to Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day. Remember that day? In that day, that the Lord shall beat off from them, uh, from the channel of the river unto the streams of Egypt. And ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel. And it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet, that trumpet we've just heard about, shall be blown and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcast of the land of Egypt and shall worship the Lord in the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Will you bow with me for prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray God the Holy Ghost, our Father this morning, would empower me to preach your word. God, I pray your people could be helped and blessed and edified and prepared for ministry. I pray, our Father, that God this morning, the singing of the choir and the specials this morning and the word of God, God, you'll use it to edify, to build up, to strengthen God's people, to go out and face the world, the flesh and the devil. And our Father, but go out victoriously and God, go out with a power of God on them to witness and tell others about Christ. And God, those who are here in the building and those, our Father, who listen by means of recording or either by the way of internet now I pray God the Holy Ghost would speak to their heart if they're not saved draw them by your grace and save them for Jesus sake and we'll thank you and praise you and give you glory in Jesus name amen the word of God is a wonderful faceted thing like a diamond 
If you look at a diamond, a diamond's cut and it has many facets to it and you can turn it. And that's why when you, you see it on a, on a black piece of velvet and it, it glistens and as you begin to turn, as light begins, you see the glistening, just like kind of like our, our chandeliers that are in here now. And, it, and you see the many sparkles that come off of them. Well, the word of God's like that. And, and as you begin to look at it and you see it initially, but then as you begin to look at it and ponder it, boy, you'll begin to see the diamonds sparkle out of it. And in this chapter 27, there's some wonderful diamonds. And I trust that God will speak to your heart. Look, if you will, in verse number one, and let's follow through here just quickly. And I'll try to get, get the truth that I want to get to you this morning. Remember, God's dealing with Israel. Now let's go back in time. He's preaching 700 years before Christ came. And so he's actually preaching to a people, just like he, if he was in Johnson County, he'd be preaching to you. But he's also preaching to generations to come down the road because God in his divine providence recorded this for us. That he, and he's prophesied things immediate and things in the future. And quite often the things that he prophesies about that's happening now parallel and are the very same as things going to happen down the road. And, that, and that's true in any age. And so what he's saying to us is what's going on to Israel Currently, in that time, historical setting, 700 years before Christ ever came, and also things that are going to happen to Israel and then are happening to Israel right now. Now, in chapter 27, verse 1, he's prophesied the, the Babylonians have come. The northern kingdoms have been taken captivity by the Assyrians. And now the Babylonians are encircling and coming against the southern kingdom. And they very soon will be taken in captivity. But he says there's a reason for all of that. There's a reason that hard times come. Now, you've got to understand there are two words that you need to understand. One is condemnation and one is chastening. One is condemnation and one is chastening. God is dealing with his people Israel, but he's also dealing with the Babylonians and with all the other countries. He's dealing with the Babylonians in condemnation or judgment. He's dealing with the nation of Israel in chastening. Now, the condemnation of the enemies of Israel means that they're going to be defeated and destroyed. And the, and the, the persecution, the judgment that falls on the nation of Israel is not to destroy them, but to purge them. And that's what he said in verse 9. He said, all this is happening that they might be purged from their sin. And so that judgment of God that falls is just as severe on Israel as it is on the Babylonians. But his intended purpose is different and it's going to be fulfilled. The Babylonians were judged and defeated and destroyed. But Israel was chastened and corrected and going to be restored and he's going to do that for them. Now, when you come to chapter number 27, look at verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword. Now, if you make notes, you write this down. He says three things about the sword of the Lord. You remember he talks about when they went around uh, uh, the, the city of Jericho. They shouted and they said, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. The sword of the Lord in Gideon. You remember another place they, in the time of Gideon? The sword of the Lord in Gideon. And they had that great battle with just a handful of people. The sword of the Lord and Gideon. Now, here he's talking about the sword of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, it says the word of God is a sharp, two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of son of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 
And boy, that the word of God is described as a sword. And he says here three things about that sword. He says it is, first of all, look at it. A sore sword. It is a great sword. It is a strong sword. Three things. Now this speaks of his judgment. In the book of Revelation, in the great battle of Armageddon, the Bible says that all the enemies of God are going to come against Israel. And he's going to come against them. Now, if you remember, when you read the book of Revelation, something unique happens the way he judges all the enemies of Israel and the enemies of God. The Bible said, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. It's the word of God. Now, you say, Brother Billy, how can that be? How can that be? Any of you know what a laser is? You know what a laser is? It's a concentrated light and it can cut. They do laser surgery now. It's light. Wow. Do you believe you, if that light was so concentrated and you, you, the light rays come off that light and you can't, you know, right now it's, it's not affecting us. But if that light somehow was concentrated, it would become a laser and it can cut tissue. How about that? Did you know that you, you've seen it illustrated with one of the real high uh, soprano singer lady? They have a glass of or maybe a high tenor. A, a glass like a little goblet there, and they'll reach such a high note, you know, and that glass will shatter. You know how, what, what did that? Sound waves. And he said, when he comes back out of his mouth, will come the sharp to its sword, and it will cut asunder all the enemies of God. And the Bible said, the blood will flow to the horse's bridle. Boy, his, his word's powerful. I tell you, it's powerful in creation. He spoke. You say, how did he do that? He's God. He can do anything. He spoke stars into existence. Amen. He spoke light into existence. He spoke mountains and animals and foliage. He spoke it into existence. His word is not only piercing and cutting and it can and kill, but it can give life. And the word of God in you, the Bible says that you're redeemed not with corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed, the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And that sword that cuts his enemies can pierce your heart, cut you asunder, open you up and diagnose your case. But that sword, that word of God can also give you life. And you can be born again by the grace of God. Notice what he says about the words, that sword, that it says it as a sword, S-O-R-E, sword. If you get a, you don't have to be a great Bible scholar. Just get your Strong's Concordance, Strong's Analytical Concordance, and look up that word. And you'll find that the word sore means hard. It really means well whetted. If you take a good hard piece of steel and make a blade out of it, you can whet it. And what it means is that when you, when you sharpen it, and it's good hard steel. And you put a good fine edge on that man wanted to split a frog hair. That's sharp. When you can split that hair with that sharp sword. He said it is, it is, it's, it's fine. It's, it's got a sharp edge on it. But it's hard, which means it does not dull. You ever seen the commercial on TV where the guy takes this knife and he, and boy, he says he, it can cut a tomato. It'll cut paper. And then he cuts up a block of wood with it and he cuts up a frozen thing with it. Well, what he's telling you is that is this, is that that edge is so hard and so sharp 
that it can cut anything and not be dulled. And can I tell you, here we are, 2009, the Word of God is never dulled. It's still just as sharp as it's ever been. It's still able to cut asunder, divide asunder. It's still able to give life. It's sharp. And he said, that all, all, the, all the judgment he's going to do, it's sharp. It's sharp. It's a sore. sore. But then he says this, not only is it sore, not as a hard or well-whetted, means it's extremely sharp. And it doesn't lose its edge. But he says this about it. He said that it is a great sword. Can I say what the word great really emphasizes? He's king of kings and he's lord of lords. Great is thy faithfulness is what the song says. And what that word great and that sword means this. It means unconquerable. It means you can't defeat it. The sword of the Lord, you can fight against it all you want to, but you can't defeat it. Amen. You can fight the word of God all you want to, but you won't ever defeat it. Many years ago, a guy by the name of Voltaire was a great atheist in days gone by. He wrote volumes and, and, and trying to show all the fallacies of the word of God. And he said, I will destroy the Bible in my lifetime. Well, he didn't. Most of you don't even know about Voltaire. But after he died... Less than 50 years after he was dead, there was a Bible bookstore in his home, and they sold Bibles out of his home. He's dead and buried, and the Bible's still going on. Word of God's still here. Here we are, great intellects, 2009. Boy, we got all kind of credentials. We're smarter than the Bible. We believe we descended from monkeys. But the Bible said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Still there. It's still there. Still got the Bible. Still here. It's unconquerable. You can't defeat it. It's strong. It's unconquerable. It's great. It's unconquerable. It has an edge that can never be dulled. But then the third thing about it, it says here in this passage of Scripture, not only is it great, it is unconquerable, but it is strong. There are swords, and you've seen the sword fights in the movies. Guy has a good sword, strong sword, but as he's fighting, bad thing happens. His sword breaks. There he goes, man. He's got a good sharp sword, but it's broken now. When he says the word of God is sore, it means it has an edge that can never be dulled. When it says it's great, it means the word of God can never be defeated. But when it says that it is, it is strong, it means it can never be broken. Never be broken. It means you can depend on it. You can depend on the word of God. If the foundations be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? They'll stand on the word of God. You can depend on it. It won't ever break. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. You can depend on that. He said, I'll never leave thee, don't forsake thee. You can depend on that. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they, they comfort me. You can depend on that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can depend on that. That's a strong sword. Anybody can be saved. Anybody can come to know Christ. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can wash away all of our sins. You can stand on that. You can trust it. You can, you can, the word of God will never be broken. You can depend on it. 
That's that side. This side. The wages of sin is death. You can depend on that. The Bible said he'll turn every nation that forgets God into hell. You can stand on that. That ain't ever going to change. You can't, that can't be broken. Now watch this. With that sword that never is dulled, with that sword that is never to be defeated, with that sword that will never be broken, he comes against the greatest enemy, the arch enemy. It's called the Leviathan, which means it's a dragon. And notice, if you look at it very carefully, it's actually three dragons here mentioned, or three things mentioned here. Look at it real briefly. And notice what it says here in this passage of Scripture. He says, with the, the three emphasis on the sword, and then he emphasizes the serpent in three different ways. He says, he shall punish the piercing serpent, the crooked serpent, and the dragon. There are three, three swords, and there's emphasis here on three enemies. Now, when you go to Revelation chapter 19, and I, I have that in my notes, but I'm not going to take time to do it. You, you have to look it up. Trust me. Chapter 19, chapter 20. He talks about three great enemies in the end time. There is the dragon, Satan. There is the beast, which is the Antichrist. And then there is the false prophet. And they're all going to be defeated and destroyed. Now look, here he talks about three. Let me just give you these quickly. It's same same emphasis as here. Now we're 700 years before Christ ever came. Notice he says, first of all, the piercing serpent. The piercing serpent. The word piercing here means fleet or fast. It means, how many of you know that you used to have a car? Maybe you had a 55 Chevrolet or had one of those with, what was a 400 uh, Erskine would know. He's been known to blow out a few side dishes. But what was a four? Tell me what size that big engine used to have. Four? Okay. Four feet. Four feet. Okay. Son, that would burn your tires off of it. You would never move. You know what they'd say about that car? Here's how you describe it. It would fly. It would fly. The word piercing means fleet or flying. It has to do with the idea of soaring through the air even. You know what the Bible says about Satan? He's the prince of the power of the air. There's only one way to handle him. (laughs) There's a sword. Boy, you can get him with that sword. You can get him with the sword of the word of God. You can't handle him yourself. No, no. But the prince of the power of the air can be handled with the sword. Notice the next word. It said crooked. Crooked. Hebrew when we think about crooked, we think about like this. And he is crooked as a snake, crooked as a serpent, all those things. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He's the father of all lies. He really is. But this word crooked has a different emphasis. It, if I would say to you, when I was in Florida, they warned me about rattlesnakes. Now, I grew up fishing the Meharan River, Chowan River, and all those. I've, I've gone on to, you know, willow bushes all day long with snakes on them, had them fall in the boat and everything else, moccasins. Have them uh, swim across the water and curl up on the water. I told them, I said, snakes don't bother me. They said, but Brother Billy, you've never seen a a North Florida rattlesnake. And I said, well, I've seen snakes. Two days later, a guy blowed his horn out in front of my house. I went out. He had a pickup truck. He had a dog box on it. 
And he had that much rattlesnake hanging off one side of the dog box and that much hanging off the other. And right in the middle of that snake was that big around. I ain't scared of snakes. But that thing was dead and I didn't get near him. <laughs> I tell you, I had cold chills. They smell like a goat. If you ever get around a real rattlesnake, they smell like a goat. They got a strong odor to them. I mean, I want a big rattlesnake. Huge. Rattlesnake, while he's crawling, you don't have to worry about him. It's when he calls, and that there's not a not a person living. Now you see, old, you know, all these guys that do all this stuff. They told me, preacher, if he ever sings and rattles, he's called. And if you, he said, most of them said, if you're within six feet of him, he can bite you. He said, they said, just stop, listen, find out where he's at, and then they ease backwards, because when he's called. He means business, and his intent is to kill. Satan is a cold, crooked snake. His intent is to kill you. As a roaring lion, he walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Why does a lion roar? Wouldn't would that run his enemies off? No, he, he does that to terrify them. And then he can lunge and kill them. And Satan calls he, his intent is to destroy every man, woman, boy, and girl. Damn you to hell for all eternity. There's only one way to handle a snake like that. Somebody said, I, two kind of snakes I like. No, two kind of snakes I'm afraid of, I believe. They said, live ones and dead ones. But there's only one good snake, they said. I tell people, my neighbor called me not long ago, and uh, uh, Gail, and she said, Preacher Billy, Preacher Billy, Preacher Billy, come over. I got a snake. And it was between our house and hers. I got out there and there's a big old long black snake. And I said, Gail, I, I'll, I'll pick him up and I'll put him behind the pool house. She said, no, Preacher Billy, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Kill him. <laughs> and she wanted him dead. She didn't want to take a chance of him coming back. One, only good snake is the dead snake. But you know, there's only one thing that can take care of Satan. From Adam, the Garden of Eden, to the book of Revelation, he's still there. Men through all the ages have fought him. They've done everything they could. And he's still there. There's only one thing to defeat him. And that's the word of God and the Lord. When Satan came against our Savior in the wilderness, here's the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnate in human flesh. You know how he dealt with the devil? He said, it is written. It is written. It is written. He can't stand the word of God. Because it's a, a sword that can never be dulled. It's a sword that can never be broken. And, and he, said, he said, you can defeat every enemy with it. It can never be defeated. And Satan's no match for the word of God. He's a coral serpent. But then he's that great dragon. Dr- great dragon. Great enemy. And really the emphasis is on that fire-breathing dragon. Consume and destroy. The Bible says he came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And there's only one thing to take care of that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, and, it, and here it is for you. Now, he can do that. Now, that's verse 1. I didn't even talk about the wine yet. Look at the next verse. He said, sing, with that, with that done, when the sword takes care of the serpent in that day, 
sing ye unto her a vineyard of red wine. Quickly. Wine in the Bible, of course, is, is a type of both the Holy Spirit of God and often the Lord Jesus Christ. But wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. The Holy Spirit of God, new wine. Red wine speaks of the Holy Spirit's application of the blood of Christ in our life. And when the Holy Spirit of God applies the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to our heart and life, what comes out is joy. All your sins gone. All, 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 everything that was held against you, all the handwriting, everything's taken away. And he gives you joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, it's a vineyard of joy. You say, Brother Billy, man, there's all kind of wickedness going on. Don't worry about it. Where did God take care of that? And I'm going to tell you something. He can give you real joy. Real joy. Turn over quickly. I'm through. I'm through. Notice what he said. I'm not through. I'm just going to quit. In verse number two, he talks about those briars and thorns coming against him. And he said, I'll gather them and burn them. But in verse two, oh, oh, let him take hold of my strength that he may that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. Now, I'll tell you something. You can take all the nerve medicine you want. You can go see Dr. Phil and Dr. Susie Q or whoever. But until you have made peace with God, you won't have any peace. No peace. Can't find it anywhere. I'm not discounting psychiatrists or medications or anything like that. But I'm just saying there's one source of peace. Now, I'm... I want you to turn with me. I'm going to read one verse. I'm going to do what I said. I'm going to read, read this verse, make a brief comment, and I'm through. Turn to Romans chapter 5. In troubled times, there's still just one source of peace. The book of Romans, and look at chapter 5, and look at verse 1. How do you get that peace? You've got to take hold of his strength. His strength. David said, the Lord has become my strength, my salvation, and my song. It's the Lord. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it you need to get hold of this morning? You need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. The emphasis here is not forcibly taking hold, but it is surrendering to Surrendering to, yielding to. If you want peace, there's only one way to have peace. Surrender. Surrender. You can fight against him, fight against him, fight. You're not going to defeat him. His sword is, you can't defeat it. It, It's never dulled. It's going to always stand. You've got one avenue of peace with him. That is surrender. Raise the white flag of surrender. Say, Lord, I receive you now as my Savior and Lord. Come in my heart. Forgive all of my sins. Save me right now. If you'll do that, you'll have peace. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you bow your heads in prayer?